0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Hebrews the book of Hebrews in chapter number four the book of Hebrews in chapter number four the book of Hebrews is found towards the end of the Bible if you go to the very last part of the Bible you have the book of Revelation revelation Jude second or third John second John first John second Peter first Peter James and the book of Hebrews. So towards the end of the Bible, the book of Hebrews and chapter number four. Now we've been doing a fascinating study in the last several weeks on studying the holy scriptures. And piece by piece, bit by bit, we've been examining the importance of the scripture. That we started off with the inspiration of scriptures. Understanding that the idea of inspiration is explaining that God gave us the Bible. Man did not write the scriptures. God wrote the Bible. God used human instrumentality. He used human penmen to record God's word, but God, man did not write the Bible. God wrote the Bible. We explained the idea of inerrancy, that the Bible is without error, that it is true in everything that it says, which goes into the accuracy of the Bible, that it's accurate in, in terms of science, in terms of history, in terms of archaeology. The Bible is proven true in every subject that it deals with. We went in and explained after that some more things about the Bible. We talked about the Um, preservation of scripture, how God preserved his word. We talked about the interpretation of scripture. How do we properly interpret the Bible? That we're trying to find out what did God mean when he wrote it, not what does the Bible mean to us. And now we talked about, uh, last week we talked about illumination, about how God through his Holy Spirit is the one that makes the Bible alive. After all, the author of the Bible is God. We could easily ask God, what did you write this? Open my my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. And now as we're continuing with this idea, we now come to the idea of the power of God's word. Knowing that this is God's word, knowing that it's corrected everything it says, knowing that the Holy Spirit can open up our eyes, knowing that God will do a work, let's now study the power of of God's word. With that, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number four. The book of Hebrews chapter number four, and notice with me in verse number 12. The book of Hebrews chapter number four and verse 12. Notice what it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of The heart. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 12? The book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, notice it says, for the word of God is, and then notice it says quick but powerful is what I want us to hit here. The word of God is powerful powerful. The word of God is powerful. And with this, we want to study here from this verse, the power of God's word, the power of god's word if you don't mind let's go to the lord together and let's pray dear heavenly father thank you again for you being a wonderful god and as we come up to you i'm asking that you would just open up the scriptures in a special way that you would speak to us concerning the power of your word understanding that you can do a work help us now lord that we could learn more about your word fall in love with it We're depending upon you. Even now, I dare not trust my own, my intellect, my memory, my desires. I set that all aside and reckon myself to be dead to those things. Fill me with your spirit that you could get your own work accomplished through your precious word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you don't mind, as we examine this, let's see the power of God's word. Let's see a couple of things that we learn about the Bible in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Notice that first of all, it says, for the word of God is quick. The word of God is quick. The word quick means to come alive, to become alive. And the Bible states, as a matter of fact, that the word of God is alive. Now remember that when we spoke about inspiration of God, that word inspiration comes from a word called theopneusis. That's not important. But what is important is what that word means. That word means God breathed. And just like when God breathed into Adam to make him a living soul, God is also breathed into this book. And this book is alive. Now, does that mean it has legs and it gets to walk around together? No, you may seem like it when you can't find your Bible. But what it does mean is that this Bible is alive and it could speak to us the way that we need to be spoken to on a daily basis. That it means that you could read your Bible 50 times, a hundred times, and read the Bible, and the Bible can give you exactly what you need for that day. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to be in your Bible. That it could speak to you. That you could read your Bible before you start your day, and God can prepare your heart for what you may face. Maybe it says something in the book of Proverbs about controlling your tongue. And you say, okay, that's nice. And then you have someone who tries to cut you off in traffic and you're getting ready to go, listen here. And your Bible comes back to your mind and says, no, 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 you're supposed to control your tongue. Or maybe you have a coworker who just won't do his job. And the Bible said, nope, control your tongue. Well, God prepared you for that day. He spoke to you, let you know what you may need. It may be something that you're going through that maybe you have bitterness towards someone and you don't recognize that you have unforgiveness to someone and God opens up the Bible and says, no, no, that's you. Oh, I do have some, I need to get things right with so-and-so. The Bible's alive and it can give us for what we need day to day. It knows what we're going through. It knows what we're facing and is able to speak to us because it is alive. Oh, I'm thankful that we have a living book. You know, you could have your own favorite book. You could have your favorite movie where you could watch that movie over and over and over until you know every line, you know, every movement of the actor and you could repeat the line. Maybe you do it a sing along that you're saying the same thing as the movie's going along and everyone else in the living room's like, shut up. I'm trying to pay attention. You know, you may know everything about it. But you cannot squeeze everything out of the word of God. There's still more to find. There's still more to learn. There's more to dig out. It is a living book. That the Bible, it is quick. It is alive. Something else that we learn about God's word here in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Is that it says, for the word of God is quick. It also says, the word of God is powerful. The word of God is powerful. That word powerful Uh, carries the same root word. It's dunamis. It's the same word we get our English word dynamite. That's what the idea of power. What type of power? It's explosive power. It will do its own work. God's Bible promised to do a work. If you don't mind, hold your finger here. But maybe we could just look at a couple passages really quick just to see what the Bible has to say. And by the way, just a few passages. I'm not going to show you them all. But just enough that you can get a taste of see what God has to say about his word, that it is powerful. Hold your finger here. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. And I just want to show you what God's word has to say about his word. Jeremiah 23, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number 29. Jeremiah 23 in verse 29. God says this, Is not my word... Like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. As we're talking about the Bible being alive, you know what God's word can do? Is that it could burn inside of someone. It could come alive it could spark a flame it could burn inside of them in fact Jeremiah says later on that he says I'm not going to tell anymore I'm not going to say anything and he says God's word burned inside him that he couldn't help but to go tell someone about the Lord it was burning inside of him it says is not my word like a fire saith the Lord and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces you know what God's word can do is that it could break even the hardest heart and crack it open God's word can do a work. I have a preacher friend of mine who gave this testimony. He said that when he was younger, he had a lot of friends and they did normal teenage things and then he joined the military. And when he joined the military, he got saved, came to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior. After that, he became a pastor of a church and began to preach out in different churches. And as he came back to his hometown, he on purpose looked up his high school best friend. And he said, you know, I wanted him to get to know me and let him know what was going on. And so they had supper together. And during the supper, the friend was trying to figure out what was different about his high school friend. What's different? And so the preacher explained that he came to the place where he realized he was a sinner. And because of his sin, he had offended a holy, righteous God and he deserved hell. But then he realized that... Um, Jesus died for him and he came to the place where he personally accepted Jesus as his personal savior. And since that time, God had changed his life and now he's a preacher and now he's trying to tell other people about it. Well, the, his friend was still a skeptic. And so he said, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And began to bring up objection after objection. The preacher began to realize that there was no way he was going to convince his friend that he was closed off. And so he would say this. He said, listen, I don't know about all of that, but one thing I do know is that the Bible says in First John chapter 5, verse 12, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Well, the... The friend objected again. Well said what about this? I don't know about that. But I do know that the Bible says in First John chapter 5 verse 12. Says that he that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. Well what about this? I don't know about this. But I know that First John chapter 5 verse 12. says that he, he says listen if everything I'm going to say. Is that all you're going to say? That he that hath the son hath life? He says yes. He says well then I guess our conversation is over. And the preacher kind of just nodded his head. And acknowledged it and said, you know, sorry. And he was heartbroken because he was close to his friend. Well, he preached uh, at the church there on Sunday. And as he preached, he watched as his friend came in. And he was kind of surprised. He thought his friend was wiped out, you know, done with him. And his, uh, the friend's wife came in and she was wearing still little heels about five inches, you know, and one of those ones where she's barely balancing steps in. And so they begin to, uh, he preached the message and gave the invitation. At the invitation, he invited people who wanted to respond to God to come forward. And he watched as his high school friend got up and brought his wife. And he was rushing towards the pulpit. And his wife's trying to keep up on the stiletto hills. And eventually the guy just let go and just rushed to the pulpit. And the preacher said, uh-oh, he's, he's in trouble. He's mad at me. He's done with me again. He's going to come slug me. And to his surprise, the guy didn't stop at the altar. But he jumped up on the platform and he says, I'm going to get punched for sure. And the guy went and grabbed the preacher and said, listen, he that had the Son has life. And he that had not the Son of God had not life. He says, I want to know the Son. And behind the pulpit, they both bowed their head and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. What made the difference? Was it the preacher? Was it his argument? It was the Word of God that it was able to break through the hardest hearts. That's what the Bible does, is that it could work. It could do a work. Even when you think that person is so hard that they'll never get it, God's Word will chisel through. It will work. We can trust God's Word. What else does the Bible say? Look with me in Isaiah chapter 55. If you're in um, Jeremiah, just one book backwards to the, le- uh, to the left, Isaiah 55 What else does the Bible have to say? We're talking about the power of God's word. We know that the Bible says that God's word is like a fire. That God's word, it's like a hammer that breaks through the rocks. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11. Isaiah 55 verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. What about the power of God's word? God said, listen, my word's so powerful, it will accomplish what I said it to do. It will not return to me void. It will do the thing I said it to do. Remember, this isn't our word. This is God's word. And God's word will do its own work. Even if you're passing out a track. We have our track, gospel tracks, that have Bible verses on it. It's not the full Bible, but it's a little grenade that you could toss in and watch it explode. Watch God's word do a work. It is amazing to see what will happen. I had one time a lady that, sorry, we had knocked on door and um, no one was home. So we left a track on someone's door and a lady had picked it up, saw the track, ah, one of those church people. And she meant to throw it away, but instead she set it up on her cabinet. And like people do, they leave things on their cabinet and she goes, well, I'm going to go throw it away, picked it up, got distracted and set it somewhere else on her cabinet. Then later on, she picked it up, was meant to throw it away, got distracted, and then she set it in the living room. Next thing you know, the track is in her bedroom on her mirror where she looks at it every day. A year later, I go knock on the lady's door and she goes, I've been staring at this question on this track. Are you 100% sure if you die today to go to heaven? I've been looking at it for months and I want to know the answer and right then and there we... Uh, showed her how she could come to know Jesus Christ from the Bible. She got saved. That was one of the easiest things ever. That was fruit that was ready to go. What did the work? Was it the preacher? No, it was God's word staring at her every day that it will accomplish. Now, sometimes it takes time. In the passage here, it's dealing in verse number ten, talking about the water cycle. That if you the rain comes, it goes into the soil and it makes the plants grow. Remember when you were kindergarten, first grade, and you took the kidney bean and you put it inside of the cup and you put it down and you had the soil and you add the water and you're looking at it and staring at it and after five minutes it still hasn't grown and you wait and you wait. Well, while you're waiting, you know what's happening is that the little seed is starting to get roots and it's starting to grow down and it takes some time before you see that stem come up the whole time God was at work. And so you may not see the results. You may not see the seed coming out. But God is always at work. And he's using his word to start doing a work to get accomplished. We can trust God's word. You understand as we're passing out these 10,000 John and Romans. None of them are wasted. Not a single one. Because God is going to do a work. You say what about the person who looks at it and says I forget church people and throws it away. They looked at God's word and they had to make a decision. What do I do with it? God's at work. One day God could bring that back. It's amazing to see what will happen. I had a friend of mine. He's a preacher now. But he says during the 60s, he was in a biker gang. And not a nice biker gang bad biker gang he said he committed so many crimes awful crimes that no one should ever do and he said it was so bad that during the civil rights work he had a preacher come up to him and try to witness to him and he said if you ever witness to me if any other preacher witnesses to me ever again I will kill you and he said I meant it at the time fast forward 20 years God did a work in that man's life And he got put in the hospital. He's staring at the ceiling. And he says, God, I remember that you had a preacher once tell me that I could be forgiven of my sins. I've done so much. If there's any way that I could be forgiven, would you let me know? And would not you know that a preacher happened to stop by? Asked the nurses, is there anyone that I could be helped to? And the nurse says, that guy in there, go talk to him. And that preacher went in there and talked with him and that man got saved. Not only did he get saved, he became a preacher himself. Someone who 20 years earlier. What did it work? God's word did it work. It will not return void. God's word will work. We can see how powerful it is. What else does it say? Psalm 119. If you're in Isaiah, turn left again. Isaiah, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs psalm psalm 119 how powerful is god's word well it's like a fire it's like a hammer to break apart even the hardest heart it will not return void it will get accomplished what god said it to do psalm 119 notice with me in verse 11 psalm 119 verse 11 notice what it says psalm 119 verse 11 thy word have i hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Do you know how powerful God's word is? Is that if you hide it in your heart, God can use it to keep you from sin. It's amazing thing that as you start hiding God's word and you just memorize it, put it in your heart, that right when you're ready to sin, God says, nope. And it brings up that verse back in your mind. How many times that you may be tempted to exaggerate. The fish was this big. And God says, don't lie. Yes, sir. Or the convicting power that if I accidentally say something wrong, God convicts me and says, "Nope, no, you need to make that right. I'm sorry I made a mistake. God's word bring it back up. You say, those are small things. Aren't you glad they're small things? I'd rather God convict me of the small things than me get involved in the big things. Amen. By the way, God's able to convict me of the big things too. But God's word is able to keep me from doing those things. That's the power of God's word. When I can't help myself, when I give in to my flesh, the Bible can kick in and say no. And I can be reminded of it. Notice in Psalm 119.105, our theme for this year, Psalm 119.05. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know what God's word? It's a guide. God's word's so powerful, it can give me direction when I don't have any clue what to do myself that God can say this is the next step. This is the next step. This is the next step. God's word is that powerful. It could show me what I need to do. Turn with me back to Hebrews 4, and as you turn to Hebrews 4, I'll just make mention of a couple more, John 7:17, 7, 17, or 17:17 17, 17 says that thy word is truth, sanctify Jesus said, sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. The word sanctified carries the idea to be made holy, to be set apart for God. Do you know that the more of God's word that we have and obey, the holier that will be, the more usable of God will be, the more set apart for God will be? That's one of the benefits of God's word. Romans 10 17. Again, I want you to go back to Hebrews uh, 4.12, but I'm just getting some verses for you. Hebrews 10.17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How do we get faith? By God's word. You say, well, I'm struggling with my faith. You know what you need? More of the word of God. God's word can help you have more faith. That's pretty powerful, uh, what God's word can do. As we turn back to Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is quick And powerful. Remember this word powerful. Is the same word we get our word dynamite. It's explosive power. And you know when we leave a track somewhere. It could blow up. It could affect someone's life. When we give them a John and Romans. We're giving them dynamite. We're giving them something that could do some work in their life. It could explode that old life and do something new in their life. God's word will do a work that none of the John and Romans we pass out, none of the tracts we pass out are wasted. You can't give it to the wrong person. God's word will do a work. It is powerful and we can expect it to do God's work. What else do we learn about God's word? Notice what it says in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful. Notice this next phrase. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharper to any two-edged sword. How sharp is it? Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. When it's talking about sharper, it's talking about an instrument to be used. Inside of the... uh, the world, they claim that the sharpest swords ever produced was the Japanese samurai who used the katana. And they would have Japanese swordsmiths who would be masters of the craft and they would actually have a process of a thousand folds of taking the metal, hammer it out, folding it again and to make it so it's flexible but yet sharp. Now when they were done, the samurai would have to evaluate it to make sure that it would pass the test the first test that it would have was was called the the silk test, and they would hold the blade uh, edge up and they would drop a piece of uh, of silk cloth and just drop it. And as the silk cloth would drop, you know how fine that cloth is. It would hit the sword and actually be sliced together just by falling on the sword. That's how sharp it was. If they would pick it up and there would be frayed edges or uh, it didn't cut cleanly, that sword was not sharp enough. It'd be rejected and be remade. Then, once it passed the silk test, the samurai had power over life and death. And it's not right, but it is what it is. The samurai could go to people he sees, you, 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 and line up five people. And as he lined up the five people, the next test would take the the samurai sword and with one swing, see how many bodies it could cut through. If it cut through three bodies and got cut in the four, that was a really good sword. If it cut through four and got stuck in the five, that was a really good sword. If it cut through all five in one sweep, it would be a legendary sword. Now, that's a pretty sharp sword, isn't it? Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what's sharper than a Japanese samurai katana? The Word of God. How sharp is it? It could divide, pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Do you even know where your soul and spirit begin and end? Can you point it out? Well, the Bible can. It knows what the difference is and it can get between them. And as a visible representation, the joints and marrow. If you take a piece of bone and look inside of the bone, inside of the bo- inside of it would be a marrow part. It's the spongy part of the bone. And the Bible is so sharp that it could actually go right in between the edge of the bone and the marrow. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, the Bible can also do surgery. And when it does surgery, whenever you have a cancer or a growth, you only want them to cut out what they have to. No more, right? If you have just a little spot in your hand, you don't want them to chop off your whole arm. Well, the Bible is able to do surgery inside of our lives and able to cut off exactly what needs to come out. No more. That's how wonderful the Bible is, is that it could take out what's dangerous and leave the healthy tissue behind inside of our life. God's word is able to do a work. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. But notice this. One more thing it says. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What does this mean? That the Bible is able to understand not only what we do. But why we did it. Have you ever had a thought that went in your mind and you said, where in the world that thought come from? Do you know the Bible is able to discern why you had that thought? It's able to give a reflection. The Bible says in a different passage that the Bible is like a mirror. Why don't some people like the Bible? Because the Bible gives an accurate reflection of who we are and we don't like What is looking back at us. Some people hate the Bible because they don't like the reflection. We know that people can mess with mirrors. Have you ever been to a carnival and they had the funhouse mirror where you look at the one and you're all wiggly and you look at the other and you're really skinny and you look at the other one and you're really fat and you go back to the one where you're really skinny and try to stay there? Because that's the view you like. The Bible does not reflect what we want It reflects an accurate and true representation of what we are. And if you are not right with God, you will not like the reflection. That's why a lot of people don't like the word of God. Because it tells us not only what we're like, but it could tell us why we're like that. Why did you have that thought? Why did you have that desire? Where did it come from? Now that's pretty powerful that the Bible can give us a reflection of ourselves for the purpose that it could be fixed, not just to point out our flaws, but it's pointing out what needs to be taken care of. Now, of course, not all of us enjoy being told what's wrong. For example, has someone ever been nice to you and say, hey, you got some green in your teeth and you get really mad at them? Well, it's not their fault. They're just trying to help you out. They're giving you something that you didn't see in yourself. By the way, Every single one of us have blind spots. Every single one of us have things that we can't see in ourselves that others can see very clearly. Jesus told this to the Pharisees that he said, you want to get the splinter out of someone when you have a beam out of your eye. Why didn't they get the beam out of their eye? Because they can't see that it's there. Everyone else can see it very clearly. Again, why do some people don't, don't like the Bible? Because it gives them a reflection of who they are, including the things they can't see in themselves, for the purpose of trying to fix those things. That if there's some green in my teeth, I want someone to tell me, "Hey, you're fixing to go talk to people, get that out, brush teeth, you know, do something." If I stink, you know, nobody likes to be say, "Hey, man, you smell," but I'm thankful when my wife and kids say, "Dad." You're fixing to go talk to someone, go get some deodorant on so you don't offend them. Now, no one likes to hear that, but aren't I glad that they told me so I could get it fixed? That's what the Bible does. Now, it just kind of depends whether you want to get fixed or not. If you want to be the best person you can, you appreciate... The view of being told, this is wrong, this needs to be fixed. If you don't have any desire to fix it, then you want to ignore it. That's why some people hate the Bible, because of its power. Now, when we talk about the Bible being our sword, and that's what it talks about, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword... Well, if we're going to use our sword, we have to be taught. For example, when I was in the military and they were getting ready to allow us to shoot the M16, they just didn't hand us the gun and say, here you go. They told us how to hold it. They told us how to load it. They told us how to aim it, how to aim properly, how to work. They taught us how to use our instrument before we used it. That makes sense, right? You want, because you could hurt someone with an M16, can you not? If someone gave you a sword and you weren't used to using it, could you hurt someone or yourself? Absolutely. Do some people unintentionally hurt people with the Bible? Yes, because they've never been taught how to use their sword. So before you could use your sword, you have to learn how to hold it. So if you don't mind, let's learn how to hold it. Take your Bibles, if you don't mind, and put them in the palm of your hand. Just kind of open palm. Good practice, all right? Now, If we want to learn how to use our sword, we also have to learn how to hold it. So if you don't mind, put your pinky and just hold your sword with just your pinky. So palm of your hand and just your pinky grasping the back of the spine. Now, if we were to put this as holding, we would say this is just hearing the word of God. So if all you did was hear the word of God, that's as good as a grip that you have in the Bible. Could you go fight a war if you had your sword just like that? It would be very awkward, wouldn't it? You'd probably end up cutting yourself, or you wouldn't be very effective in battle. So, we have to learn how to grip it better. So, add to it hearing, add to it reading. So, if all you did was listen to the Word of God and read the Word of God, that's as good as a grip as you have. It's not the best grip, but it's better than what you had. What if we add to our grip and we had study? The Bible says, study to show thyself approved. A workman rightly dividing the word of truth. So if we started to study the word of God, it's a little bit better. We're getting a better grip. Let's add to it, memorize. Start memorizing scripture. A little bit better, but not the best grip. And then we add to it meditate with a thumb. Now we got a good grip. What does the word meditate mean? The word meditate comes from the same word as a cow chewing the cud. Remember as a cow eats, it eats grass and then it swallows it. And then it brings it back up and chews it some more. That piece that it brings back up, it's called the cud. And so it chews on it, swallows it, brings it back up. That's what meditating is. Is that you take something of God's word, you bring it back up meditate on it, bring it back down, do whatever you need to do, bring it back up later and think on it. That's meditating. Now, that's just how to hold your sword. You haven't been taught the basics of how to swing it and how to do and parry and everything, but this is just how to hold your sword. Until you learn how to hold your sword, you're not ready to be trained how to do the other things. Does that make sense? Now, whenever you hold a weapon, there's a Training that goes involved. That if I was to hand some of you an M16, you'd like, What in the world is this? I am unfamiliar with how to use this weapon. You take some more training, you start to get familiar. After that, you become proficient, train some more, you become advanced, and then an expert, and then finally, you develop a mastery. How does that happen? By training, practice, and working with it. Same thing with the Word of God. Someone who finally holds the Word of God in their hand, and they say, all right, I got the Word of God. They may be unfamiliar with it. They're not going to use their sword properly. They're not going to be effective in battle. They have to learn how to work with the Word of God and practice it until they eventually master the Word of God. Do you master it after one week? Do you master it after one sermon? Do you master it after one YouTube video? It takes work. It takes some time to work on it. But you can. The Bible talks about in the same passage that it deals with study to show thyself approved. It says strive for the masteries. That we're supposed to strive to be a master of the weapon that God has given to us inside of this spiritual war. Because this weapon is powerful. So let's say that you know what? We have dynamite here. And what we want you to do is that we want you to use the dynamite effectively. Go place that enemy mine out in the minefield and don't blow yourself up. How many people without any training wind up blowing themselves up? Probably a lot. So we need to learn how to use the word of God ourselves. By the way, that's what church is for, discipleships for, Sunday school. Where all of that is involved in trying to help you to be Use your weapon, the spiritual spiritual weapon of the word of God to use it effectively. So what do we do with this information? Well, first of all, are you reading God's word? Are you faithfully reading God's word every day? How about after you read God's word? Are you um, studying it? Do you have something to help you study? We have Evening School of the Bible. We have other things here to help you learn how to study your word of God. Are you memorizing scripture? And then are you meditating on God's word? You know, you use your brain power for something. You could use your brain power to think about what's for supper. You could use your brain power to think about what you watched on TV last week. Or, you know, you could use your brain power to think more about God's word. That's meditating on it, thinking about it. Are you in God's word? Maybe just as a demonstration of the power of God's word, we can just explain the simple gospel message. That first of all, heaven is a perfect place. That's why we want to go there. In heaven, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. I mean, that's why we want to go there. But you know what really makes heaven worth going there? Is that God is there. That Jesus is there. And that everything that the Bible describes about God is that he could be described as this, as holy, holy, holy. The word holy carries the idea of perfect, so we could say it this way, that God is perfect, perfect, perfect. The problem is, dear friend, is that none of us are perfect. Perfect. Not a single one of us. The Bible gives us the Ten Commandments to measure ourselves. In the Ten Commandments, it says, to honor thy father and thy mother. We could say it this way, to obey your folks. So let's just do a test. How many of you have ever disobeyed that commandment? Raise your hand. Well, all of us are raising our hand. Parents are making sure their kids are raising their hand. All right, what about this? In the Ten Commandments, it says to, um, that we're not to. Thou shall not bear false witness. We would say it this way. Don't tell lies. Well, how many of you have ever broken that commandment and told a lie? Raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. Every single one of us have broken those commandments. You know what that means is that we are not perfect. The Bible says that same thing. That for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The qualification to go into heaven is that we have to be perfect but we've all missed it. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says in that same passage, for there is none righteous, no, not one. You know, that means me as a pastor, I still, even though I'm a pastor, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. The Bible goes on and gives the explanation that you can't set something that's not perfect into a perfect place. It would ruin it, wouldn't it? So the Bible describes that because we can't go to heaven, there's only two places to go when we die. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell for a single human to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. However, because there's nowhere else to go, man goes to hell by default. Now that's bad news, isn't it? It's awful news. Well, that makes sense because heaven's perfect. He can't allow something not perfect to go to heaven. So it has to go somewhere else. And there's only one other place to go. You say, well, that's very bad news. I know it is. The Bible says that same thing in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That word wage is a payment. For example, when we go to work, we earn money. Because I worked, I receive as a payment, as a reward Money, The Bible says for the wages of sin. What is a sin? Anytime I've missed the mark that I've broken God's law, broken God's commandment. Every time that I told a lie, every time I disobeyed God's folk, uh, uh, disobeyed my folks, I sinned. For the wages of sin is death. The word death carries the idea of separation. For example, if we had a funeral here and we had a casket here, we would have a body inside of it and we would say that person is dead. Because their body is here, but what makes them them is separated. They're gone. There's a separation there. Well, the Bible says because we don't deserve to go to heaven, we deserve to be separated from God. There's one other place to go, and that's an awful place called hell. For the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. God said, but. That word but is a conjunction that means the opposite of. For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God loved us so much, he didn't want us to go to that awful place called hell. So what God did is he robed himself in flesh and came on earth to live the same life that you and I lived as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross being perfect without sin and he paid for the price for you and I. Then he was buried on a borrowed tomb, and on the third day Jesus Christ arose again. When Jesus Christ rose again, he proved two things. First of all, he proved that he was God. Second of all, he proved that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now all that is left for us to do is to accept that free gift. That's why John 3.16 is the most favorite and most famous Bible verse in all the world. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish or go to that awful place called hell. But have ever lasting life. That verse is so powerful. More people have come to know Christ as their Savior because of that single verse than any other Bible verse. Why? Because it tells us the truth that God loved you so much that he died on the cross for you. And that if you, you're the whosoever, should believe or trust in him... God made you a promise that you should never perish but have everlasting life. You know the power of God's word is that someone could take that verse today and trust Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins. And they have God's promise that they would have, currently present tense, everlasting life. That's how powerful God's word is. So dear friend, as we kind of wrap up this idea here, first of all, Have you ever accepted the free gift of salvation? If not, let me tell you the greatest thing that could happen to you today is for us to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. And it would be our great privilege. Second of all, dear friend, if you do know Jesus Christ is your Savior, may I ask this? How's your sword training? How's your Bible use? Are you faithful in reading your Bible? Are you studying the Bible? Are you memorizing scripture? Are you meditating on scripture? How are you with your Bible reading? You understand this is the only offensive weapon that God has given to us in this spiritual battle. You need to be using your sword. Why? Because the word of God is powerful. And they can do a lot of work. And the more people who know how to use their sword correctly, the more we can expect God's word to do a work in people's life and see them come to know Christ, to see their lives changed, to see them pulled back from the life of sin, to see all kinds of wonderful things happen because we trust God's word.